What an honor it is to preach God's word to you this morning. As we continue, would you join me as we pray? God, our helper, by your Holy Spirit, would you open our minds that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may be led into your truth and taught your will. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, amen. Scripture reading this morning is from the Gospel of John. I'll be reading chapter 1, verses 43 through 51. Again, that's the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 43 through 51. You can turn to page 834 in the Pew Bible underneath the seat. John chapter 1, verse 4351. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Hear now the word of the Lord. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven and opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. As Pastor Eugene shared and prayed for us, I am excited to go this Thursday, the 17th, along with the team, and returning on the 28th. Um, and we do covet your prayers. Um, and I don't, I don't think it's too late to sign up for fasting and praying for the team. There are a couple of um, slots that are still open, and we would love to see multiple people praying throughout the, uh, the mission trip at different meal time. So please um, reach out to Hesu and sign up and pray for us. As we've been preparing for the mission, there are a couple of things we've been doing besides the practical. Uh, one of the things we prepared our testimonies um, and shared with one another and how we came to trust Jesus as our Savior and Lord. We have a couple who was a bit teary-eyed, and hopefully they'll get that out of their system before we uh, give the testimony in person and to the various groups. But in addition to testing our te test, sharing our testimonies, becoming familiar um, so that we'll be ready, we've also been going through a short book by uh, what is titled, What is the Gospel? So that our testimonies will be indeed gospel-centered, and I know Pastor Eugene mentioned some of the ministries. Um, the first couple of days since we arrived, we'll be serving and kind of co-leading a youth-slash-young-adult retreat. 
and our members will be sharing testimonies, and we want those testimonies to be so filled with the gospel. Whenever we're given a chance, we want to share the gospel. We'll also be ministering in the tutoring center, so next to Pastor Rick's home is attached to the building where kids from the neighborhood come for different lessons, and along with the um, homeschool girls, um, these girls will be joining and will be giving lessons from cooking. Our team members will be uh, leading cooking lessons to science lessons to crafts. But even those lessons, we want it to be full of the gospel. We want to share our testimony. Um, and as Pastor Eugene shared, one of the uh, ministries that Pastor Rick partners with is this uh, ministry called the Good Shepherd Girls, where formerly trafficked ladies We'll go through different things, and I think there will be about four ladies who will be uh, nearby. So as our, our ladies spend time sharing our testimonies with them, um, please pray that everything we do indeed would be glorifying to God, that our um, sharing what God has done in life will be pointing them to Christ and the gospel. When we think about going to the mission field, whether as a, those going or many of us here who are sending, I think it's probably safe to say that it's easier to share the gospel when you go somewhere new. It's easier to share the gospel to those in the Philippines than those we see regularly here at home with our family members, with our neighbors, with our coworkers. But we are all given the command to go make disciples. Question I want to ask us this morning is, how are you doing in sharing the good news of Jesus to those around us? I know we spend Saturday morning praying for the unbelieving uh, friends, family, and coworkers, but are we inviting people to come and see Jesus of the Bible? The passage we read from for, um, John chapter 1 today comes from a series of endorsing that people do about Jesus. They point those people to Christ. Um, in the beginning of the series, starts off with John the Baptist, who recognizes his purpose to prepare a way uh, for the coming of Christ. And when Jesus comes, and he recognizes Jesus as the Lamb of God that's come to um, take away the sins of this world, he rightly leads his disciples to lead him and follow him instead. And out of these disciples, two of these disciples, one who's Andrew and another one that's not named here, um, ends up following Jesus. And they ask Jesus, um, where are you staying? Because what? They want to know um, what Jesus is doing. They want to listen to him. They want to learn from him, as often rabbi and students did back in those days. And in response to this question, where are you staying, Jesus just simply responds by inviting them to come. Come and you will see. The series of words, including seeing, finding, and knowing, repeats in the Gospel of John. Um, and we recognize that when you come and see, there's a clear offer to go and find out. Right? So come and see. And it's after staying with Jesus, that Andrew, Andrew was one of the two of John the Baptist's disciples who went and saw Jesus. He came and saw, and then after seeing, he goes and finds his brother, 
Simon, Simon who eventually receives a name, Cephas or Peter. Andrew is so excited, he, he says to his brother, we found the Messiah in verse 41. There's a clear understanding that there's a searching that's been going on. He's been searching, and now he has joyfully discovered as that person who finds a treasure, as that person who finds that precious pearl, there's an excitement, goes out, gets, sells everything so they can procure this treasure or the pearl. Book of John, Jesus starts in chapter 1 where he gathers his first followers. And you jump 20 chapters, and at the end of chapter 20, we see the very purpose of why John wrote this gospel. And he says, these, all the accounts, right, are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. There is this kind of a dual purpose of doing apologetics. He's writing all these things that Jesus did, that Jesus taught, so that he can prove, so that people can recognize that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is the Messiah, he's the Savior, the Redeemer, that the Bible has been speaking of. And there is also this kind of evangelistic purpose so that as they come to recognize Jesus for who he is, that they may believe that and that by believing, have eternal life in his name. There is this basic principle that Bible speaks of that new followers of Jesus, those who follow Those who come and see, bear witness of him to others. And those others become followers, become disciples, and repeat the process of bearing witness, inviting others to also come and see. The verses we read, we see Philip continuing in pointing others to Christ Now, remember, this is after Andrew brought his brother Peter to Jesus, and Peter receives, excuse me, Simon receives the name Peter, Cephas, and it's the next day here. And this next day, Jesus is moving from Bethany across the Jordan, where John the Baptist was baptizing, now travels up to Galilee. And this time, it's Jesus who goes, finds Philip. Before, it was um, the Andrew who went out to... um, find his brother, as well as Andrew and the other disciple who went in search for Jesus as John the Baptist led them. And this language of following is repeated again and again, many times in this gospel, as well as other gospel accounts. After all, it is Jesus who said, if anyone, any man will come after me, let him take up his cross, deny himself, and follow me. And this following is not a momentary decision that you do, but it's a life commitment. The verb is present tense. It's a continuous action. It's continuing to follow. And Jesus says to Philip, follow me. And this is what he says to all of us here. There's no Christianity, brothers and sisters, without personal discipleship with Jesus If there's no evidence of you or me following Christ, 
it doesn't matter how intense of an experience you received at a retreat, at whatever event. True disciples are following him continually, learning, growing, obeying, being sanctified. Now this Philip, after recognizing Jesus for who he is and after Jesus invites him to follow, he, he now goes and looks for someone else by the man named Nathaniel. Um, now, Philip was from the same fishing town as Peter and Andrew, Bethsaida. And when he goes finds Nathaniel, um, you might be wondering who is Nathaniel. It's actually, he, he, he ends up being one of the disciples, apostles. Um, he's more often referred to as Bartholomew. So you probably heard more Bartholomew than Nathaniel. It's only John who calls him Nathaniel. Now, Bartholomew comes from a family name. It's a, it's a family name. Bar means son, and it literally means son of Ptolemy. Ptolemy. So, uh, Nathaniel is Nathaniel Bartholomew is son of Ptolemy, who's from Cana. And Philip is excited and finds Nathaniel and says, "Now we have found him." of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. This is the Messiah. This is the one that Moses wrote about, that the prophets wrote about. He's the one that we've been waiting for. He's the one who fulfills all of the Old Testament scriptures. Now, Jesus says something very similar later on in chapter 5, where he clearly and accurately attest to the fact that Old Testament scriptures are all about him. But Nathaniel is not quite there. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nazareth um, was perhaps a, uh, a, a town where it's a bit less sophisticated, with perhaps an accent, and it's definitely not a city of David. It's not the promised birthplace of the Messiah. Nathaniel knows, because he's a student of those scriptures, that Bethlehem was the place of the man who's supposed to be the Messiah. What he doesn't know is that this Jesus, son of Joseph, actually was birthed in Bethlehem. In addition, um, Cana is kind of a rival town with Nazareth. So imagine, you know, growing up um, with a rival school or college, and you're told that the person that you're supposed to listen to is from that rival place. It was a stumbling block for him. But instead of engaging Nathaniel more, making a case, besides what he said, he just invites Nathaniel, just come. Come and see. Instead of compelling him or convincing him, he wanted and he knew that Nathaniel needed to see for himself. Come and see. The words that Jesus spoke to the two disciples of John the Baptist, come and you will see. Now Nathaniel invites, is invited by Philip, come and see. The call to come and see requires us to spend time with Christ. And Gospel of John is pretty awesome in learning about who Jesus is, getting to know Jesus, 
and all the titles that we see in the gospel. So, thankfully, in verse 47, we see that Jesus sees Nathanael coming. So, Nathanael is responding to the, the call, come and see. So, as Nathanael is coming toward Jesus, what does Jesus say? Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Jesus recognized Nathanael's lack of any guile or, or full of sincerity. Because when you think of the name Israel, you'll think of the name Jacob, who is in the Old Testament known as a deceiver. Nathanael is nothing like Jacob, the deceiver. Jesus has this superhuman knowledge where he knows the condition of Nathanael's heart. And Nathanael is amazed. He's like, how do you know me? Well, because Jesus is fully human, but he's also fully God, truly God. And because he knows us, he can minister to every soul. And Jesus continues by saying, well, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Jesus has the ability to see the heart condition, what's inside of us, but he also knows where you are. His divine nature allows him to see what eyes can't see. He knows who you are on the inside, and he knows where you are and where you've been. And this strikes powerfully to Nathaniel. He knew the scriptures. He knew what he assumed. But as he listened and saw for himself and heard for himself the words of Jesus, he responds by saying, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And the gospel of John is bracketed in the beginning chapter 1 and end chapter 20 with this kind of theme of unbelief. You have Nathaniel who kind of doesn't believe initially, um, and then you, at the end of the book, you have Thomas who doesn't believe, but yet both of their encounters with Christ leads them to believe. Nathaniel, um, here, because I, this is Jesus responding, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. This is in verse 50. And at the end of the book, you have Jesus speaking to Thomas, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not yet seen and yet have believed. There's a searching. These people have been on a quest of searching for the Messiah. Andrew and the other disciple, they were searching and they found Christ. And they find, Andrew finds his brother. Philip goes, finds his friend Nathaniel and tells him, we've found him. So these people have been living their life in search of the Messiah. But while there is this personal pursuit, and there's an important part to that, you've got to be searching. At the end, though, it is Jesus who is ultimately the one searching them out. It's the one who found them. He says later on, 15 chapters later, you did not choose me, but I chose you because he has always been in the quest of 
searching and finding those who are lost. The last verse, we see something amazing. Jesus says, truly, truly, amen, amen. Verily, verily, I say to you, you, and this is plural, you all will see heaven, and, heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. You will all see. Now, he's referring to all the disciples, but also, by extension, for those of us who come after, who would end up following him. You will all see. question is, what is he talking about? What, what will people see? What will Nathaniel and other disciples who follow Jesus see? And what is he promising us that we will see? Well, when you look at the last verse, it's very kind of interesting because it echoes a language when it says, heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. It's going back to Jacob. Remember earlier, no deceit, no Jacob in you. Now going back to the story of Jacob in the book of Genesis. Jacob, whose name meant deceitful, grasping things that's not his, kind of encapsulating his character, who later on God gives a new name, Israel. Nathaniel, who had no Jacob, no deceit, only Israel in him. Now Jesus goes back to the story of Jacob when he was running away. If you remember, he took the blessing that Esau, his older brother, should have received by lying and deceiving, and is running away for his life. He's exhausted, and he falls asleep on a rock. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure mission will be tough, but I don't think any one of us will fall asleep on a rock. Um, Maybe with some humidity, with a fan, yes. But Jacob was so exhausted that he fell asleep on a hard rock. Um, And he sees this vision. God gives him this vision of angels of God ascending and descending. And God promises and confirms the covenant that he made with his forefather, now with him. And Jacob calls this place Bethel, the house of God. He was tired. He was alone. He was probably scared of death, scared to death. And as God gives him this vision, he reassures him. He comforts him that he's for him, that he's with him. All this time, he probably thought he is totally alone. All the family left behind, now going on his way to see this uncle that he's never been before. And here, God tells him, as he reveals in this dream, that he is not alone. And in calling this place Bethel, he says, surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. We have a tendency of just kind of de-supernaturalizing life, forgetting that God is with us, God is in this place. And maybe you just go through the emotion too, at work. Ah, it's something I do, but God is with you there. At school, when you sit in a class, when you listen to your teachers, when you talk with your classmates, God is with you. At home, when you're going through the mundane task of maybe doing dishes, feeding your kid, whatever else you do, in the relationships we have with our neighbors, coworkers, 
God is with us all the time. Yet the sad part is we worship God who is Emmanuel, but we live as if he is not with us. Think about how many times we pray, God, be with us, be with me, as if he abandoned us. I mean, that's the promise he gives us. We will have hardship, but he will never leave us alone, but he'll always be with us. Jesus now essentially names himself as that ladder between earth and heaven where God's mercy comes. Verse 51 says, You will see heaven open, the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. To have the heaven open is to receive God's approval. And we see this when Jesus was baptized, the heaven is open, and we hear God speaking, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We are approved by God only through Jesus Christ, and it's only through Him that we become His beloved children adopted into His family. He is the way, the only way. As later on, in chapter 14, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Throughout history, mankind has often sought God by his own means, building up our Babel tower, building our stairway, stairway of to heaven, human effort, working hard through achieving technology. Nothing new today, right? But God judged the Tower of Babel because no matter how excellent or advanced we may be in our means, we can't achieve our own salvation. And it is Jesus, rightly as John the Baptist pointed, behold the Lamb of God. It is only through him that we can reach God. ladder um, that Jacob saw, these flights of steps, perhaps could have reflected the ancient Near Eastern ziggurat. You probably are familiar with ziggurats and the Babylonian. It's like, a, it's like a Babel, Tarot Babel thing, right? And it's an attempt to connect earth to heaven. And Jesus here, by saying, on him, is pointing out that he is taking that place, that temple-like object. The very beginning of the chapter speaks of the word becoming flesh dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the one, only son from the father, full of grace and truth. That word dwelt is the same verb as tabernacle, So the word became flesh, the logos became flesh, he tabernacled among us, and is pointing to this ladder that Jesus became to connect us. It's only something he can do as he came down. It's something only he could accomplish through his life, death, and resurrection, because Jesus replaced that whole system. He's a fulfillment of what God promised Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. He's the way. People say seeing is believing. 
I mean, we probably said that, heard that. But here Jesus says something different. He asserts that believing also leads to seeing. Believing leads to greater understanding. Only if these disciples could see, or they will soon, but they don't know, all that would occur in years to come. In the next three years, the things they will witness, the teaching they will hear, the miracles that Jesus will perform, the signs as the book of um, Gospel of John goes through to attest to who Jesus is. But ultimately, the sign of Jesus' death and resurrection, the glory that all of Scripture has been writing, written about. You know, God essentially told Jacob, who eventually became Israel, that he's going to take care of him. He's going to fulfill the Abrahamic covenant promise that through Jacob, now Israel will develop a nation and bless other nations. And Jesus, when he goes back to the language of Jacob, deceiver, no deceit, and now the dream and the vision that he had is teaching us how he has now fulfilled through his life, death, and resurrection, the promises that he made to his Abraham long ago. I love the Gospel of John because it's such a rich place. We see various titles and names of Jesus. You could probably stay there and still not fully comprehend. It's a wonderful place to come and see who Jesus is. Jesus who is the Word, Jesus who is life, light, Lamb of God, the anointed, rabbi, teacher, Messiah, one of whom the law and the prophets spoke, Son of God, King of Israel, Son of Man, just to name a few. When John's disciples, including Andrew, came, Jesus asked them, what are you seeking? What are you looking for? And maybe Andrew and the other disciple, maybe they, they wanted, they were looking for assurance that they're okay with God. Maybe. There's a good chance that they sought authority, a position, or some sort of prominence with someone with influence and leadership because they all competed for those seats, right? Or maybe they just need some excitement, tired of living in a small village. Or maybe they saw some mystical religious experience. But regardless of what they sought in life, the invitation is still the same as Jesus invited these two, and as those who follow Jesus invites others to come and see. Jesus invites you to come and see, because unless you first come and see Jesus for who he is, according to the word, you can't lead others to come and see. I started following Jesus decades ago out of fear of going to hell, because I knew I was a sinner. But as I continue to follow this Jesus, I came to taste and see the beauty and the joy of being with God. Two sides of the coin. Not going to hell is just one part. The other is what we were created for, that we have a reconciled communion relationship with our Creator. 
and the joy of knowing this God, that we can be with him because of Christ. Regularly, I get questioned by two people in our church. One male brother who often asks me about sharing the gospel with his coworker, whether they're Catholic, atheist, he's always asking me, Pastor Paul, what do I say about this? Do you have any recommendations? He doesn't always follow up with reading what I recommend, but he always comes back. And I'm encouraged. I'm encouraged by the conviction that he has. And I'm also challenged. So when I hear that, I'm also compelled, and I do what I can when I go to the gym, and people get stuck with me in sauna, and they ask, and I've been more bold in sharing the gospel, telling them what I do, why I do it, according to the Bible. There's another sister who also comes to me regularly asking me how to share the gospel. She always asks about different theological subjects, and I give her um, responses and you know, books and resources. I think she reads a little more, so I'm thankful. But I'm always encouraged when I interact with people like you who are compelled by the gospel, knowing that we are in this, we're called for this ministry of reconciliation because we've come and we have seen and we can't help but also be challenged to obey to lead others to come and see. My, pray, my, my request from all of you is partly two-part. One, to pray for the seven of us who are going. Pray that we will be faithful in sharing the gospel, faithful in inviting others to come and see Jesus of the Bible, not just Jesus according to whatever imagination or things that people might be thinking of, but Jesus according to the gospels. And for the rest of you, as you send us out, as you go back to your work, your schools, your homes, traveling wherever you might be, I want to implore you. I know sometimes it gets a little nerve-wracking in sharing the gospel. You often ask, like, how do I respond? Keep studying, yes. Keep studying, keep reading. But know this, you don't have to answer every question. Yes, we need to keep learning and growing, maturing, but make sure, make sure you invite them to come and see Jesus from what the Bible says. Invite them to read the gospel and talk it over with them. Let them come and see Jesus, what he has done, what he has said. And let them be convicted by the power of the Holy Spirit. And as you do that, let's make sure we, you, continue to come Continue to come and see. Spend time with Jesus. We need to still come to Jesus, read and study what he has done, what he has said, as we invite others to him. Brothers and sisters, I implore you, don't be afraid of man. Have the right fear of God. He invites us, he invites you to come and see. And we rightly should invite others to come and see him. Let us pray. Lord God, take away the fear of man. We're so easily swayed by 
And deterred by this anxiety we carry about not having the right answer, Lord, give us diligence so that we study what we can. But at the end, the work of illuminating, convicting people of sin, helping people recognize Jesus for who he is, the Messiah, and the belief that comes can only happen through the power of the Holy Spirit. So, Lord, may you take away our fear of man and fear you more. Help us to come and see you again and again, you of the Bible, and by your grace, invite others to come and see, taste and see the goodness of the Lord. I invite you to continue in time of prayer.